Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? I hope you're ready to get into the Word and just let the Holy Spirit just roll over you and reveal things to you, because when we're in His Word, it becomes a very fertile place for our hearts, our lives, our impact in the world, our purpose, the things that God has given us. I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining all over this region. So thankful for each and every one of you today. If you're inside or online, we're also so thankful for you. And um, uh, we're in this series in John, and uh, I I was uh, studying and some things started kind of rising up, occurring to me, and and so I'm going to take a moment and just be transparent with you. I've always had uh, a bit of a problem being positive about people who have achieved great success in ministry. Uh, It's probably born out of some feelings of inadequacy or inferiority, uh, probably a defense mechanism that's just inside of me. So in the past, you know, being in little churches uh, for much of my ministry, it was so easy to prop myself up by finding fault with some aspect of what some of these other churches had done, you know, just to point out some, you know, some, some way that they had done something a little less than what they should have done. And that all changed in my life in 2007. When I was invited to go to a conference uh, of ministers for large churches, you see, being where being in West Central Indiana, where I was before here, and then here, this is not the same as metro areas and and things along those lines. And so, uh, uh, whatever I had done or whatever the church had done that I was serving went relatively unnoticed. And then all of a sudden, it was noticed, and uh, I was invited to this conference and. That was a very strange feeling for me because I felt like an, an outsider. I felt inferior. These people are walking around and they're like titans to me. They're like these larger than life personalities on these big stages and I don't know how to respond. And deep down inside my heart, you know, I knew that I'd had these thoughts uh, uh, about them because, you know, of, of these feelings that I have. But it was amazing what happened. They, they welcomed me. And they encouraged me. And they sat down with me. And they were real with me. And it, it was a weird experience for me because I didn't know how to deal with that. I had kind of used some of that negativity uh, to kind of fuel me to like, I'll stick it to the man. You know, I'll show you. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're, I'm, I'm the man. And it's weird. Uh, and, and, but it would have showed me in that experience was just how self-focused that I had been and how that had fueled a complete misunderstanding of those people that I now know and I have relationships with and I cherish them. And I am so thankful that God gave me the grace of that wake-up call 15 years ago to show me how wrong I was and how I was limiting the things that God wanted to do in me and through me that having a network of people like that around me, that I could, I could experience that. Is that connecting with any of you? That maybe you've kind of done that as well? Or am I just a total jerk up here? Well, maybe I am, but maybe you are too. I don't know. Well, how many wonderful things are there about Jesus and following Him 
that we may never see because there is something, some obstacle in the way that blocks our ability to either see Him or that which we, He would want us to see because it would enhance our faith, enhance our effectiveness for the kingdom of God in our families, with our friends, with our co-workers. And I think John wants to point that out to us. And that's really what I want to share today. You know that John didn't write just the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote Revelation as well, right? But when I think of that term revelation or the revealing, I really feel like that the gospel of John is like a second revelation. Because it's revealing who Jesus really is. This is what I really appreciate about John's Gospel. It's why I encourage people to read it first when they're first discovering what it means to have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ because it is so revealing about Him in so many different layers and levels. It's, uh, so let's just go back two weeks. Two weeks ago, I discussed this foundation that John lays for us, that, that Jesus isn't just His best friend. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a great teacher, not even just a savior. I mean, he is God in human form. What a weighty concept. What a huge concept. And he describes that by revealing that, that Jesus is the creator, that he was part of that whole creative process, that he was the author of life. Nothing was made without him. Nothing exists without him. That he's the glory of God. The representation of His glory. So if you want to witness the glory of God, you look at Jesus. And that's how you connect with that. That He's the light of the world. That He gives light to, to, to all the world. And, and we, so we have these huge concepts of God being these, so big and Jesus being so amazingly large in the vastness of the universe. And in the second week, we discussed how even with the vastness of all that, Jesus is just as much Lord of all the smallest th of things, the tiny things, the things that go unnoticed by everyone else, the people that would go unnoticed by everyone else, except for Him. And it reveals so much about the character of Jesus, about the nature of Jesus, and most of all, the love of Jesus that He has for us. So today, John is going to lead us into some more specific contexts to understand who his best friend really is. And he's going to use it in words that Jesus used to describe himself. Like he would, you know, he's Jesus, right? The Son of Man, right? But he uses these terms, these descriptive terms, these personifications in the book of John, that really help us to understand him better. They will reveal deeper truths about the person that we desire to have an intimate, personal relationship with. So, John reveals this in his gospel, but to so many people, he's revealing a Jesus that they never knew. They missed it. And they missed him because there was some obstacle in the way. Some, some light that needed to be turned on. A switch that needed to be found on the wall. So that they could see it. So they could receive it. So they could receive Jesus. But missed it. 
So here's the first one. Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. How many of you heard that before, that Jesus is the bread of life? It's from John chapter 6, verses 32 and following. It says, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. That's, that's a story of the manna that fed the nation of Israel in the wilderness. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread, is what he's saying. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow, big promise. Now Jesus spoke these words at the end of a 24-hour period that was packed with emotion, that was packed with drama. And if you take the four Gospels and you look at this period of time, like in a harmony of the Gospels, it'll amaze you what happens in a, a, a day in the life of Jesus. You know, we have so many days that go by and there really isn't much that happens. But just take a moment and understand a day in the life of Jesus. So this happens in a morning. So I want, we want to go back to the previous morning. The previous morning, Jesus is in the same town. He's in Capernaum and just got up to start the day. And he has messengers that come to him that tell him that John the Baptist has been beheaded. How's that for a great way to start your day? And Jesus, who had done ministry with him, he was related to him. They were cousins. He was the herald that announced the coming of the king, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then he hears that he's been beheaded. Not only does he hear that, but he hears a threat that goes along with it. That Herod has beheaded John the Baptist and now he's coming for you. How would you like to start your day that way? And while he's managing the truth of that, a while back he sent 72 out to be ambassadors, to go share the good news of the kingdom of God, to heal, to cast out demons, and he gave them this power to be able to do that. And that very same day, right after he hears this about John, here they come over the hills. And it's not just 72. Oh no, they brought a whole bunch of people with them, about 20,000. Can you imagine that? I mean, the town of Capernaum was a town during Jesus' time of about 1,200 people. Can you imagine 20,000 people converging on a town of 1,200? And you know what they want. They want to see the man that they've heard about. They want, they want to see him do what they had seen, like some of that from these 72. They want to experience Jesus. And so they drop everything, and they come all the way over to Capernaum to see him. But you know, Jesus is really not in the mood. He doesn't really want to spend a lot of time with them. He wants some time to, 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 to decompress from what he's just heard. So he tells his apostles, let's get in a boat. Let's go across the lake. Let's go across the Sea of Galilee, which is like a big lake. And, 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 and let's do that. And so he gets in the boat with his disciples. They go across the lake. They're experienced fishermen, experienced in sailing, but you know those people are not going to be denied, and they walk across all the way on the shoreline, very long way, 
Because they want time with Jesus. So Jesus gets out of the boat on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's 20,000 people there. Great. So instead of being able to take a breath because of what he experienced early in the morning, he starts teaching and healing all day. Now, you already know this about Jesus. John's already revealed this, that Jesus wouldn't look at a crowd like I'm looking at right now and just go, oh, you are healed. He wouldn't do that. He would go to each one, wouldn't he? He'd hear their story. He would talk to them. He would interact with them because he loved people that way. And then he would heal them. And he would go to another one and he'd heal. And he'd go to another one and he would... Can you imagine doing that all day? Can you imagine teaching in between the healing? Can you imagine doing that all day long? I mean, how tiring would that be? Especially when you started in this deficit position. And so he does that all day long. The sun starts going down. The apostles tell Jesus, you need to send these people away because they need to eat. So Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, what are you? We don't have any money. There's not a Kentucky Fried Chicken around here. I don't know what we're going to do. They find some kid who's got five loaves and two fishes and lunch. They go, here's what we found for 20,000 people. Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and prays a prayer, and that food begins to multiply. They start handing it out. Everyone gets their fill. The Bible says 5,000 men. Doesn't take into account all the women, all the children. Feeds all of them, and when they take up the, the leftovers, there are 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Incredible. Now it's getting really late. And so Jesus tells his apostles, why don't you just get in the boat? You go on back across over to Capernaum. I'm just going to spend some time here in solitude and pray to my father. So they get in the boat, but like it does on the Sea of Galilee, often there's a storm that rises up and a wind that rises up, and even though they're experienced fishermen and experienced in a boat and sailing, they can't make it back to Capernaum. So it's the third watch of the night, it's in the middle of the night, and they're looking out across the waves, and they see something, and it kind of freaks them out course if you were out in the middle of the night and there was a storm and you saw something in the middle of a body of water that would probably freak you out as well and the closer that whatever this thing is gets they begin to recognize that it's not a thing it's a person and that person is Jesus walking on the water now now when it's storming on the sea of Galilee you're really not walking on the water you're walking on the crest of waves and here he is. Can you imagine it? He gets close to the boat. They're trying to have a they're having a hard time deciding what should I be afraid? Should I be excited? Should I be what should I be? I don't know. Well, Simon Peter, that crazy dude, he just says, Hey, Jesus, bid me to come out of the water so I can walk on the water with you. And Jesus goes, Okay, come on. And as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus. He's walking on the water. That power of Jesus emanates to him, and he has this ability to walk on water. But when he notices the wind and the waves, he takes his eyes off Jesus, and Jesus has to perform a water rescue. 
and get him out of the water back in the boat. Then Jesus has the ability to stop those waves and to get that boat back to Capernaum right about dawn. And guess what's waiting for him on shore? 20,000 people looking for breakfast. Fish and chips was great last night. What do you do for breakfast, Jesus? I want you to understand that in that 24-hour period, these people were not Jesus' enemies. He loved them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He wanted to heal them. He wanted to teach them. But like us, Jesus in his humanity was tired. And yet, he pushes it aside to minister to them. I just need for you to understand, they were not his enemies. They weren't trying to hurt him or discredit him or anything. And so then Jesus begins by teaching this truth from John chapter 6, which sounds great at the beginning, right? That I'm the bread of life. If you eat this bread, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. And then he starts talking about who he is and how that relates to the bread of life. And it starts to get weird. The, the, the teaching starts to get weird and he starts losing people. They start looking like your dog does when you talk to them. Like, huh? And then he gets to this part near the end of the John 6 Bread of Life sermon where he says this, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. But if you eat my flesh and drink my... Sounds like a great Halloween sermon. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I will raise you up from death to life on the last day. And by that time, he's lost them all. All of them. Because the Bible says they all left him. 20,000 people who were so excited to see him in a 24-hour period all leave him. And mentally and emotionally, the 12 leave him as well. Even the 12. Now, they didn't leave, leave. Because Jesus asked them, are you going to leave me as well? And they go, Why, what are we, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? You have the words of life. So the only difference between the 12 that stayed and the 20,000 that left was that even though they didn't understood, they weren't going to abandon Jesus. They stayed because of what they did know about Jesus. You know what? How does that apply to you? What does John want you to know about you? Sometimes you're not going to get the answers to your questions. Are you carrying some of those right now? Big, big questions that don't have answers. God, why, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen in my family? Why is this occurring right now in our world? Why is this happening in our community? Maybe there are these questions that go out and you want answers and silence. You get no answer. Not at least right away. Maybe we'll get it. Maybe we'll understand it when we're a little older. Maybe when we're more equipped to receive it. The apostles didn't get an answer for the questions that rose up in the Bread of Life sermon, but they got it later, three years later. They got it in the last Passover. So Jesus is celebrating Passover. It's the eve. It's right before he dies on the cross. And there's bread and there's wine that's used in the Passover meal. And he lifts up the bread and he breaks it and he says this. This is 
my body, which is broken for you. Take it. Eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't you think some of those guys were going, well, you remember when he said, unless you eat my flesh, and we didn't get that? After the meal, he lifts up the cup of wine, and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant that I'm shedding for you. The, like, you're shedding your blood. Now, he didn't understand that, but he, he was calling the, the, the wine in the cup his blood, and he says, drink all of it. It's a new covenant. And you have to think that the lights were coming on. Like, oh, this was the thing that he told us about. And now I'm maybe beginning to understand what he meant. But for the 20,000 people that didn't stay with Jesus, he was the Jesus that they never knew. Not in this way. Only, ones, only the ones who stayed had the privilege of understanding I don't want Jesus, and John doesn't want Jesus to be the Jesus you never knew. Do you know him as the bread of life? Is he your bread of life? Is he your daily bread? When he was being tempted by the devil, and the devil commanded him to make, stone, make stones and change them into bread, he said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is he your word? Is that word that proceeds from his mouth better than bread to you? Or is he the Jesus you never knew? Second one, living water. Look at John uh, chapter 7, verses 37 and following. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He calls himself the living water. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to later receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given. You know, it, it had overshadowed people, but it never indwelt anyone. Since Jesus had not yet been glorified, which means died, been buried, and rose from the dead. On hearing these words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said he's the Messiah. Still others, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? I love this. It tells you how much people didn't know about Jesus. Does not the scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants, which by the way he did, and you can read that in Matthew 1 and Luke 3, and from Bethlehem, the town where Jesus lived, which you can read in Luke 2, right? Thus the people were divided. They were arguing. Even though Jesus was from Bethlehem, they were arguing. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. This happened at the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. That was a commanded feast in the Old Testament, and it was designed to help the Israelites remember when God was with them in the wilderness. When they were living in tents, and, uh, and they all encamped around the tabernacle, that's makeshift temple. And God was there with them, and he was a pillar of fire at night, and he was a cloud by day. And so uh, you remember that that's how he provided warmth, and that's in a desert, and that's how he provided shade in the heat of the daytime. And 
Of course, the manna that fell down from heaven. You know, manna doesn't mean bread. It means what is it? Did you know that? That's that, I'm not I'm kidding. It's Hebrew for what is it? Manna. <laughs> so they were remembering this feast. You may also remember that when they were in the wilderness, when they were thirsty, God told Moses to speak to a rock. This is really kind of interesting, you know. I want you to speak to a rock. Really? They're thirsty. You want me talking to a rock? Yeah, speak to a rock, and then I'm going to bring water out of it. But instead of doing what God said, Moses took his staff and struck the rock, and then took credit away from God because he said, shall I bring water out of this rock for you? He couldn't bring, he couldn't do that. And for that reason, God punished him, disciplined him, and said he could look into the promised land, but he was not going to be allowed to go in. So here, in the story of Jesus calling himself the water of life, you actually see this feast, this festival, actually being fulfilled. Jesus is God in human form. John's already told you that. And he is living with these people. He is dwelling with these people. God with us. Emmanuel. He's there, right? In the wilderness of their lives. In the thirstiness of their souls. And he says, I'm the living water. If you drink of me, you will never be thirsty again. John further relates that Jesus was referring not just to himself, but to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that was coming. But how many of them would be there when he was teaching this on the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles? How many of them would be there at Pentecost after Jesus had risen and ascended into heaven when the Holy Spirit actually did come down? Once again... That would be the Jesus they never knew. Because intimacy with Jesus comes when we receive the Holy Spirit. Even if they heard Him talk about the water of life, unless they had experienced the reality of that coming to pass, they would never know Him that way. Only the ones who invited the Holy Spirit to come into their life would understand how a river of life could flow from them. See, that's what, the, that's what Peter said in the very first sermon. We just sang about how, how the church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame. Did you hear those words? When they all looked at Peter and the rest of the apostles and said, What do we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 said yes. That day. But for everyone else, it was the Jesus that they never knew. Is Jesus your living water? Is he making the desert of your life bloom? Is he making the desert of your past bloom? Is he the fountain that washes away your sins? Or is he the Jesus you never knew? Third illustration that John gives us. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. John 8, 12 to 14. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Basically calling him a liar. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. You see, they didn't. He did, they didn't. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. No, they didn't know about him, and they didn't know about themselves. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. You have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You see, Jesus is teaching and he's being challenged by the Pharisees, which was common uh, during his ministry. And he, he promises this awesome thing. You'll never walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. See, the truth about these Pharisees was they were walking in darkness. They were walking in darkness, and they didn't have any light to share with anyone, and they didn't have any life to share with anyone. We go on in John 8, verse 19 to 20. And they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Talking about the darkness that they're walking in, and the fact that they have no life or light to give. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Look at the 27th to the 30th verse. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you know what that's referring to, right? The cross. Then you'll know that I'm he, and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. When do you get the most benefit of a light? Is it, is it when you like hold it down? Well, maybe if you want to look at something really close. But if you really want that light to have an effect on the space that's around you, you lift it up. Right? And when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, for those who believed him, he was a beacon of light. A beacon of light, of, li of life, and of hope that was sent out into the whole world, but only received by those who believed him. For the Pharisees, this was the Jesus they never knew. And they never knew him because they valued the darkness that was around them. Is this how you know Jesus? Is he the light of your world? Is he dispelling the darkness that's around you? Is he illuminating your path? Is he the light that is lifted up? on a cross to enable you to see the world as it truly is and yourself as you truly are? Or is he the Jesus you never knew? You see what John's doing? He's helping you to understand Jesus, bread of life, living water, light of the world. One more. The Good Shepherd. 
We read about this in John 10. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he's prophesying about his death. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks in the flock, the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. Cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. <coughs> I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. That's you. Because you know this ministry was to the Jews. But he wasn't coming just for the Jews. He was coming for the whole world. Gentiles as well. I must bring them also. That's to bring us too. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. That's powerful. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now, shepherding was familiar, very familiar to the nation of Israel. It was in their culture. It goes all the way back a thousand years before uh, this, even before that. But it was really made a part of their culture when David, who was a shepherd boy, became a king and wrote things like, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he goes on. So it became a symbol of God leading His people Israel. Now I'm going to ask you a question. From what position... Does a shepherd shepherd his sheep? How does he lead his sheep? Some of you might think, well, he leads from the front because he knows the way to go and the, the sheep follow after. And if you, if you say he, they, that the shepherd leads from the front, you're exactly right. He does. He leads from the front. You know why? Because the sheep know the shepherd and they trust the shepherd and so wherever he leads, they follow because they know that he sustains them. He sustains them with green pastures. He sustains them with still waters. He, he sustains them by having, leading them to safe places. Some of you are like, I, knew, I thought I knew that answer. I got that right. Some of you are like, oh man, I thought, I've seen pictures where the sheep are in front and the shepherd is actually behind them. So if you thought that the shepherd leads from behind, guess what? You're exactly right. Because it's that way he's able to minister to the sheep when they're obstinate. Any obstinate sheep in the room? Any obstinate sheep in one of our locations online or inside? Oh yeah, we can definitely be obstinate. We can be prideful. We can be egocentric. We can want what we want. Uh, and we can get distracted. You know, sheep are not really particularly intelligent animals. They, are, they, they, they look down and they see grass and they go eat and then they eat. And then they move a little forward. There's some grass. And they eat and then they poop and then they eat it some more. And when you're, when you're living your life with your head down all the time, it's easy to get distracted and then to get lost, right? And so when the shepherd is behind... He's able to watch for that. And if the, shepherd, the sheep start going this way or that way, he's able to hem them back in and to keep them in the protection of the full flock. He keeps his eyes on them 
and he protects them actually from themselves, right? Some of you were really, really clever when I asked that question, and you didn't think either in front or behind. You know, you, you're, that, you're that like extra special person who said, I think that the shepherd is beside the sheep. You're exactly right. He is beside the sheep. That's why he carries his rod and staff. Because if there's some predator that wants to come in, he makes he puts himself in between the predator and the prey, right? And he uses that rod and staff to fight off the predator. And because he's right there with them, next to them, he's reassuring them with his closeness. That they know he's willing to die for them. You might be saying, well, wait a minute, Jerry. A shepherd can only be at one place at one time. Right, so maybe they move from one place to another depending on the circumstances. And you'd be right in every case except for one. Because our good shepherd can be in all three places at once. He can lead us from front. He can lead us from behind and walk beside us at the same time. But for those religious leaders, this was the Jesus. They never knew. Jesus was leading, but they were not going to follow. I want to ask you today, is Jesus the shepherd of your soul? Is he directing your path from before you? Is he hemming you in from behind you? Is he protecting you from being beside you? Does he open the gate for you so that you know that you're a part of his flock? Is he the one who lays down his life for you so that you could be saved? Or is he the Jesus you never knew? Ultimately, John gives you these four word pictures that Jesus provided him so that you'll know him better. I want you to be my bread of life. I want you to be the living water that not just flows into me, but out of me, through me, and out of me to a world that's parched with thirst. I want you to be my light, the light of my world, so that I see it and you and myself as it truly is. And I want you to be my good shepherd. Because I can't get to my destination without you. This is how you know Jesus intimately and personally. And I want to ask you what obstacle is in the way of you seeing him and following him right now. So that he can be the Jesus you knew. We're moving to a time of decision. Some of you are going, whoo. That was like five chapters from the book of John there. Yeah, that's a lot. Because you could, you could do a series of sermons on a half a verse in John. But maybe this is good for us to get the big picture. I would imagine that there's some people here in this room today that you might know about Jesus. You might have some notions about Jesus beliefs about religion and how that should fit in your life. So did all of those people that never knew Him. 
they had some presuppositions about Jesus. Whether it applied to healing, teaching, the next meal. Right? But they never really knew him. If you're here today and you don't have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, don't let this day end with Jesus being the Jesus you never knew. Make this day that day. The day that you refuse to leave. Even if you didn't understand. Even if it doesn't all make sense to you. The day that you say, I want to have a relationship with you because where else am I going to go? You have the words of life, Jesus. There's going to be somebody right over there by that baptistry that would love nothing more than to talk to you about your next steps walking with the Lord. And this day will be the most pivotal, important day of your life. And there's only one obstacle standing in the way of you and that outcome, and that's you. So maybe today is the day you get yourself out of the way and let Jesus have his way. For many of you here today, you're saying, I can't, I don't, I know Jesus that way. I know him that way. And I think, well, that's fantastic. That's great. But I wonder right now how you're actually feeling if you search your soul. Are you thirsty? Do you feel like that you're in a dry land? Does your life feel parched right now? Do you need to be reminded that He has a river of life? That He can flow into you and that can proceed out of you? Are you hungry? Maybe not for the things of this world. I mean, you can satisfy that with lunch in a little bit. But I'm talking about the things that satisfy for all time. Are you hungry? I need something substantial. I'm not up here to make you feel better about yourself. I'm not up here to give you therapy. I'm here for one reason, and that is to tell you the Word of God. Because that's the only thing that will change you. And Jesus is the only thing that will change you. And the Holy Spirit is the only thing that will change you. Not me, not this church, Him. And that's where the power comes from, from His Word. And right now you might be feeling hungry or thirsty, or you might feel like you're stumbling around in the darkness because you've been playing where the darkness and the light come together a little too long. And I'm telling you, you come up here, you get down on your knees, and you tell the Lord, I want you to be my living bread. I want you to be my living water. I want you to light my world. And he'll be your shepherd. He's there right now. He's with you right now. In this room right now. I want you to consider that. Would you stand with me? Take advantage of this moment. Let this be the moment where you know Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, all the obstacles, all of the inadequacies, all the insecurities, all the ego, all the pride, all of the stuff 
that we bring into this room right now, Father, would you let it fall? Would you tear it apart like you did the veil in the temple so that we can just see your Son and run to Him and let Him do what only He can do. In Jesus' name, amen.